Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Great to have you here. Let me extend the welcome if you are visiting on you with family. It's great to have you uh, here with us this morning. Um, And you're here on a good morning, not only because we get to celebrate Callan um, and Grace and Andy, but uh, we're kicking off a a new series uh, today called Rhythms of Grace. And uh, over the next six weeks, we're going to be jumping into what God invites us into. He invites us into a radical, countercultural way of life, and it's, it's a way of grace. And so uh, you can find, um, uh, there'll be, we've got some life group booklets down the front, which you can grab at the end of the, of the service or up at the, uh, at the welcome desk as well, a life group booklet. But it's also a way just to track along with the series and uh, get some detail. And there's some practical things in there as well. Or uh, you can get it online as well. So if you use the QR codes, um, I think you've got access to all of those materials. I'm looking at PJ and he is looking very confident uh, that they are available. If not, just go to our website and uh, you can find them there. And uh, we're kicking off today. We're kicking off this series uh, today. And uh, we know that life is filled with rhythms. There, there is a cadence, there is a rhythm that's deeply embedded and fundamental to the way in which we live life. You know, every morning the sun rises and wakes up the world. And I've got a photo here that I took uh, a little while ago. I was, uh, I was down the coast and uh, I, I don't normally get up at the, the crack of dawn, but I was, I don't know why I was that day, uh, but just that beautiful uh, view of the sun starting to rise up and it wakes up the world fresh for a new day and then the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of life is triggered into motion as the sun comes up and it rises and it works its way over the world, over work, over everything that's going on until we get to the end of the day and then the sun goes down. I took this photo just a few uh, about a week ago, just along the river, and um, I just—we uh, got that there. Maybe not. Um, no, we don't. Um, yeah, and, and the sun goes down at the end of the day and turns everything off and we all head home and we hit a different kind of rhythm and the world lays its head on a pillow and goes to bed for the night. There is a natural cadence and rhythm of the day and those days turn into weeks and those weeks turn into months and those months turn into seasons. You know, summer turns to autumn. Autumn turns to winter, winter to spring, and then we're back to summer again. You know, the world lives in the rhythm of seasons, and with those seasons comes some other... It affects the way in which we eat. Various seasons have different kinds of produce, particularly uh, the closer you get to either of the north and the south pole. And we enjoy the summer fruits, we enjoy some of the winter produce as well. See, the world, our fruit, the earth is subject to the rhythms of life. Animals are the same. Animals live to the cadence and the rhythm of life. I'd like to give you a little bit of a health warning because we are coming into spring. There are certain animals that just change personalities when it comes to spring. 
You know, we have, we have these magpies that, that come and visit us, and uh, we have been making friends with them for the last nine months. We have been feeding them three times a day because, because we don't want to be attacked. Um, I, I know I've shared this story before, but this is, this is particularly for the sake of my wife. Nine years ago, almost to the day, we moved from the UK to Australia. The first day we arrived, we were out for a nice walk along the foreshore at Wynnum, and Megan is attacked by a magpie. We hadn't been in the country two hours. And if you remember the story, I, I shared this, uh, I've shared this on a number of occasions, but I think it's funny. She gets attacked by a magpie. Here's an American from the UK, now in Australia, worried about all the creepy crawlies. She yells out in exasperation, what kind of country has birds that attack you from the sky? (laughs) There is something about the seasons that just snaps for animals. They change. You know, we all have to live to the rhythm of the world that we're surrounded by. That's, That's true for us too, right? It's true for us too. We all have rhythms. We have cadences to life, summer, to autumn, to winter, to spring, to back to summer again. Can you believe that it's September already? Christmas carols already (laughs) in shopping centres. Dennis, it's, it's obscene. It's the wrong rhythm. I'll get to that in a moment. Chris Webb says, there is a pattern to our activities. We build structure into our days. We create family traditions and rituals. Our churches use liturgies. We celebrated one of those before. Even though we often rejoice in spontaneity and flexibility, the truth is we like routines. We prefer order to chaos. We live by rhythms. You see, from the very beginning, life has been created with a beat that provides the foundations for a fruitful tune. And our rhythms shape us. The rhythms and the cadences of life actually shape us to be the people that we've, called, that we've been called to be. John Mark Comer says, your life is the byproduct of your lifestyle. By life, I mean your experiences of the human condition. And by lifestyle, I mean the rhythms and routines that make up your day-to-day existence. The way you organize your time, spend your money. We all find ourselves in rhythms and routines. God has created us for rhythm and routine, but unfortunately, we find ourselves too often in unhealthy, unhelpful, bad rhythms and routines. And I would say that more and more in the world that we live in now, a world of hurry and hustle, a world of pressure and produce, that we are not marching to the rhythms and the routines that God has created us for, but rather we are becoming subservient to rhythms that are being imposed on us by the world around us. And it's causing exhaustion. It's causing Anxiety, it's causing fear, it's causing distraction. And in this place and in this space, we can go back to an ancient teacher and to an ancient text 2,000 years ago, and it speaks as relevant back then 
as it is today. There is something true about what Jesus says that speaks to our hearts and our life. And Jesus just didn't speak, he lived it. Jesus lived with a rhythm and a cadence that not only challenges us today, but it challenged the religious elite of the time. And it challenged the disciples who followed him, who were in of the time. And he invited them and he invites us into a liberating way to live. And he says in, uh, and we read this in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. And this is kind of like where we've got the, 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 the title for the series. And I've stolen Eugene Peterson's translation of it in the message. From Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says through the, through the uh, translation or the, uh, uh, the words of Eugene Peterson. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely. And lightly. Isn't that a beautiful paraphrase? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love this phrase that Eugene Peterson said. He says, Walk with me and work with me. The translation actually is be yoked with me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And a yoke is an ancient you know, agri- agricultural tool. You would yoke oxen together, beasts together to work together in unison, to plow the fields. And Jesus says, walk with me, work with me, be yoked with me, walk to my rhythm, walk to my cadence, slow down, because my rhythm, my cadence, my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Who would like to receive that today? Who would like to live in that today? I see those hands, those three hands. The rest of you, very jealous. <laughs> but I also think you're lying. But here's the challenging thing. If you want to live the life of Jesus, you need to live the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want the life of Jesus, you need to walk in the lifestyle of Jesus. And so over the next six weeks, we're just picking out six things. Six things, that's five. I need my other hand, six. Six things that Jesus did that put in, he lived and put into practice. And we're going to look at them. And we're going to learn and we're going to find ways in which we can live. We're going to look at Sabbath, how to live with Sabbath rest, how to pray how to study the scriptures, how to worship and sing, how to show hospitality and service. But this morning we're going to start with, I think, a a foundational subject for us because it speaks to the idols of our culture, our time and our heart. It's something that Jesus lived every day and it is an invitation to simplicity, to live a simple life. And why are we starting with simplicity? Because we live in a life We live in a world of complexity. We live in a world of hurry. 
We live in a world of distraction and we live in a world of pressure. And in this place, Jesus invites us to walk in his way and to walk with simplicity. What is the the practice of simplicity? Dallas Willard says, simplicity is the inward reality of a single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, and which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. I think we're going to be challenged this morning. I know I have been and will be as we journey through this. And we're going to dive into a passage from perhaps one of the greatest uh, oratory moments in history. Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount that people worldwide acknowledge as one of the greatest pieces of oratory literature. Jesus articulates the ethics of the kingdom. And we're going to be diving into part of that. It's in Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open it on your digital device or your paper Bible or the words will be on the screen behind me if you want to read along there. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 24. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus sets up the paradox. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus here says in stark terms, what we worry about, what we fuss about, what we stress about reveals what we worship. What we worry about reveals what we worship. And Jesus challenges, he speaks to the heart of his listeners, he speaks to the human heart and he challenges us about where our priorities lie and where our worship exists. So I'm going, to say, I'm going to break this down really simply. Jesus said you can either worship God or you can worship money. And he articulates those who chase after, those, after these things, the things of money. He calls them a pagan. And so I want, to, I want to just break down what it means to live like a pagan and then what it means to live like Jesus. Is that Okay. 
Firstly, just in case you arrived and you really you, you, you came to church this morning and thought, you know what, I'd really love to learn how to live like a pagan. Well, you're in the right place today, people. I know that might surprise you, but here we go. Before we go, before we, I teach you about what, what a pagan is, we need to understand what Jesus means when he says what a pagan is. A pagan in that time was a Gentile. Jesus meant it translated elsewhere as a Gentile. Not like a pagan today, those who worship nature and are into wicker and all that kind of stuff. Back then, a pagan was essentially a Gentile. And what was a Gentile? Well, in that time, they were, he was talking about the surrounding Roman culture, which was deeply impacted impacted by the Greek culture, and they were in a polytheistic society that had a whole bunch of different gods. If you know anything about you know, Greek gods and Greek mythology, there were gods everywhere. This was a polytheistic, many gods kind of culture. And Jesus says, people who worship many gods are those who are concerned and worried about the material things of life. Jesus says, Pagans run after the stuff of life. I want to articulate as I read into this passage that a three-step plan to being a good pagan. You ready for it? Three steps to being a pagan. The first step is put your faith in stuff. Put your faith in stuff. The actual word is mammon. Anyone heard the word mammon? It's an old word. It basically means stuff and the things that the stuff that money can buy. It's the stuff of life. So if you want to be a good pagan, then put your faith in stuff, in material possessions. And the whole, the whole kind of statement goes like this. The belief system goes something like this. More stuff, more stuff equals less worry and more happiness. More stuff equals less worry and more happiness. It's very interesting. I actually think this articulates the cultural, you know, our cultural times. Jean Baudrillard, a French sociologist, said materialism is the new system of meaning. Atheism hasn't replaced Christianity in the West. Shopping has. Atheism hasn't replaced Christianity in the West. Shopping has. I agree. We live in a materialistic, consumer-driven culture. It's interesting that advertisers 30, 40 years ago, when they were trying to sell you a product, they would sell it, sell it to you on its health merits. You know, if you buy this product, it will be good for your health. That's changed. Marketers now no longer try and sell something to you based on the health merits. They try and sell it to you based on whether it makes you happy or not. It's far more linked to your identity. And so now you go out and buy a pair of sneakers, running shoes, not, not because of the health benefits. You buy it based on the brand and brand alignment. What do you want to be seen wearing? And if it's not shoes, if it's not for you buying shoes, then it's the handbag or the new car or the digital device. What do you want to be aligned to? Our identity is attached to the things that we buy and the things that we wear, the things that we consume, the things that we own. Firstly, put your faith in stuff. Secondly, fix your eyes in getting more stuff. 
You need more stuff. And so what do you need to do? Well, you need to get another job. You need to keep working harder. You need to keep working up the chain, getting that promotion, finding that side hustle so that you can have more money, so that you can keep buying more stuff, so that you can keep up with all the things that you, you need. You know, that shirt, after three wears, it's kind of like old now. You need the new shirt. You need the new computer because, you know, this one's not as iPhone 14 people just came out this week. Oh, you, 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 are you lining up, Karen, for that? No? No? Okay, sorry. It's got a new camera. It's got a new kind of camera. You, listen, I upgraded just recently from the iPhone 8 to the iPhone 13. I have no, I no idea what happened between 8 and 13, but it's, it's a good phone. You know, it, it takes nice photos, it's, and, and I, can, I can call Megan. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> But now, but now I've got to upgrade. I've only had it six months. I've got to get the new one, the iPhone 14, because apparently it's better. See, this is the pressure, the pressure that the world puts on us. We need to keep upgrading. We need to get more stuff. And so we hurry. We work harder. We do more hours to get more money so we can get more stuff. And here's the thing. Hurry doesn't equal peace. Hurry leads to worry. And so thirdly, if you want to live as a good pagan, then you need to worry about protecting your stuff. Because you live with this sense as you hurry around, as you, you end up worrying about protecting everything that you ha- have around you. As you surround yourself with stuff, it's well, what happens, what happens if I lose my job? What happens if interest rates go up again? What, what, what happens if I just can't keep up, keep improving, keep renewing? Hurry leads to worry as we worry about all the stuff that we surround ourselves with. We feel this, don't we? We live in a world of comparison feeling like we always need to be progressing and improving. And Jesus says, worry can't add a single hour to your life. See, the reality is that living like a pagan leads to poverty. Poverty in the things that matter. Pagan living leads to poverty in life and in love. See, as we run around worrying about how we clothe ourselves and what we drink and what we eat and the house that we're in, we leave ourselves exhausted. We're tired. And we live with a sense of inadequacy, unhappiness and anxiety. Greg Easterbrook in his book, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse, said this, Adjusting for population growth, 10 times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than they did a century ago. Americans and Europeans, we can throw Australians in there as well, have never, have never more of everything except happiness. Have never had more of everything except happiness. Do you feel that? 
Do you feel that, that sense of dis-ease, like I'm missing something? I'm not content. There's something more to be done. There's more work to be done. So there's more things to have. I don't quite have enough. As media through social media and TV, through television screens or whatever it is, keeps pumping and telling us you just need that extra thing. You just need that extra holiday. You just need to have that digital device. You just need that new watch or whatever it is, that, those new shoes. And we live with this, this sense of discontentment. We're robbed of life and we're robbed of love. Hurry actually is the antithesis of love. I love what John Ortberg says, and I know I'm throwing a whole bunch of quotes at you today. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing hurried people don't have. See, our world, and we need to get this, as Jesus speaks to the pagan society of 2,000 years ago, he could be speaking to us today. And let's just have a moment of honesty. It gets into our hearts too, right? We begin to believe the narrative of hurry and busyness and striving and work and stuff. And we're not living the life of Christ. We're living the life of a pagan. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror here as I get to the end of another week exhausted. And Jesus invites us into a radically different way of life. And this is the challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. But we're not going to live in life and love truly unless we have a paradigm shift in our minds. And we truly take the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus seriously. So how do we live like Jesus? We've already seen how you live like a pagan and it robs us of life and love. What does it mean to live like Jesus? Well, let's just consider Jesus for a moment, the way he lived his life. The model of Jesus. Firstly, we need to know that Jesus was not poor. I think we have in this mind, we have this thinking that Jesus was some poor man who just had to, had to rely on the goodness of people wherever he went in terms of you know, bunking down or camping or whatever he did. It's actually not a true vision or the true, a, a true description of who Jesus was. Jesus was not poor. You gotta understand, for most of his life, he was a tradesman. He was making a living wage. And when he started teaching, when he became a rabbi, he had a bunch of people come around him who were wealthy donors who supported his ministry. You can read that in Luke chapter eight. In fact, they had so much money that Jesus had disciples specifically allocated to managing the finances. One of them was Judas Iscariot. So they had income, they had money, there was wealth coming in. In fact, Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunk. A glutton and a drunk has material possession. Now, Jesus wasn't a glutton and a drunk, but he must have had rich friends. In fact, we know that he went and he hung out with rich people. And right at the end of his life, it's interesting that they cast lots for his garments. You wouldn't cast lots for garments unless the garments were actually worth something. And Jesus was well-dressed. So Jesus wasn't poor. We sometimes think that that was the case, but he wasn't. And even though he wasn't poor, he was purposeful. He did not let possessions and material wealth distract him from his purpose. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, life does not consist on an abundance 
of possessions. And he lived what he taught. I love what Richard Foster says. He says that Jesus lived a carefree, lived a care, had a carefree unconcern for his possessions. A carefree unconcern for his possessions. I love the story that we read in Mark chapter 12 where a religious uh, person comes up to him to seeking to trap him. He said, should we, uh, should we give, uh, pay taxes to Caesar or not? So it's this beautiful, it's one of my favorite stories and the genius of Jesus. But, and I'm not going to go into it, but what Jesus says is he, he, he kind of, I'd imagine him doing one of these ones. He says, um, can, can someone give me a denarii? The fear the fact of saying, you know what, I don't even have any money on me, says something about the priorities of Jesus. So I, I, my, my wallet, I don't even have a wallet. My money, just, can someone just give me a coin? Jesus had a carefree unconcern for his possessions and as a result, he lived a free life and he invites us to live that free life. The unforced rhythms of grace. Three-step plan to living in the way of Jesus, living like Jesus. Firstly, put your faith not in stuff but in your heavenly Father. Jesus says in verses 26 and 27, look at the birds of the air apart from magpies. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. In verses 28, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he, not, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus is saying, there is a great big God. There is a heavenly Father out there who, who not only owns everything, but loves you and cares for you and gives you everything that you need. Now, what I am not saying is that we walk out of the here today and resign from our jobs and go and just trust God that he will just clothe us and feed us. That is not what I'm saying. See, when we understand the goodness and grace of God, we need to recognize and understand that part of his grace is that he has given us gifts and abilities. He's actually given us the means to work. Work is actually a gift. Jesus says, work with me, walk with me. It's not that we just stop working, but we acknowledge the grace and the gift that God has given us. That work is not something that we are a slave to, but something that we enjoy, something that we walk in his rhythm, we, we express. We are to live in the way and the gifts of our heavenly Father who gives us, including our abilities, everything that we need. Firstly, put your faith in your heavenly Father, not in stuff. Secondly, Fix your eyes on his kingdom. Verse 33, but seek his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We need to change our vision. We are sold a vision of the good life. Our world marketers spending millions of billions of dollars telling us the narrative that we are to live. That we're being presented with a vision and we need a new vision. What's your vision of the good life? When you step back and you think about actually what is life all about? What do I, what do I really want to live for? 
How does that change the way that you might live? So often we get caught in the hurry and the hustle and the pressure that we totally forget about what we really want in life. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. We need to get a new vision, a new vision. And it's only when we get that new vision that we will see transformation. It's only when we begin to see in a new way and go, enough. I'm not going to live like the pagan world around me. I'm not going to fall into the trap of the narrative that is being sold to me. I'm going to choose to live in a different way. I'm going to choose to get a new vision. It's only when we get that new vision that we can live a transformed life. Dallas Willard in his book, The Renovation of the Heart. I'm throwing a whole bunch of books out there. I encourage you, write them down, go read them. They're incredible. Dallas Willard says, you will not see transformation until you first see vision. He says, the vision which underlines spiritual transformation is a vision of life now and forever in God's will and presence. What we are aiming for in this vision is to live fully in the kingdom of God, as fully as possible here and now, not just hereafter. The vision of life in God's kingdom makes it possible for us to intend to live it. We can do it. Maybe that your step away from today is to take a step back and say, God, I need to get a new vision. I need to get a new vision for my life. I need to get a new vision for my marriage. I need to get a new vision for my family because things are out of order. I've believed a lie for too long. And then thirdly, to live like Jesus is to not, don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about what you don't have. Verse 34, therefore, Jesus says, therefore, since I've said all of these things, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you don't have to worry about protecting that which you don't own. And here's the profound truth that Jesus is saying, you don't own tomorrow. You would like to, but you don't. We wanna be in control. We want to be in control of everything. We want to be in control of our tomorrow. Anyone agree with that? Anyone want to be in control of their tomorrow? I know I do. Jesus says, you're not in control. Stop thinking and believing that you're in control of your tomorrow. Don't think that you're in control of your... No, 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 you're not, but I am, so trust me in it. And when you trust me in it, then you don't need to control it. Therefore, you don't need to... Worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you can't control, but it is the hardest thing to do. See, stuff, things, things you can buy, things you can own, the things that you, you have, the things in your wardrobe, the things in your cupboard, the work that you put in, the TV that you have and the the things that you watch, oh, you, can, you feel like you can control all of those. And so we surround ourselves with stuff because it makes us feel like we're in control. You need to know, one, you're not in control. And two, it won't set you free. Living the way of Jesus when we let go sets us free. So what does it mean? What does it mean to step into a life of simplicity, to let go and allow God to fill the space that we need? 
Well, we need to allow God to give us a fresh vision. Dallas Willard talks about vision, intent, and means. And we need to step from vision to intention and then find the means. I'm going to give you some means today. Means of how you can begin to strip away and walk in simplicity. I'm just going to talk really practically. But the reality is, you know. I'm going to trigger some things. And in a moment, we're just going to sit and be still. The invitation. So while we're starting with simplicity in this series is there are some things that we need to stop doing. There are some things that we need to let go of before we begin to start picking things up. And so maybe God, well, I know for, for each of us, and again, I'm speaking to myself here, there are things that we need to let go of as we join in the counter-revolution. We reject and resist the consumeristic, materialistic world that we're in. Firstly, some questions to ask about our material things. You know, when I purchase something, what is my true motive? These are questions I'm just going to give you to ask. Let's talk about stuff. What is my true motive? Does this help or hinder me in simplifying my life? Does buying whatever it is, the, this, this, the next TV, the, you know, that, that, that's one year newer than your last one and just has, I don't know, a whole bunch of letters to it that actually make it just that more crystal clear. Or when I buy that new computer or that new digital device or I download that, whatever it is, does that purchase actually help simplify my life? Because here's the thing. So often the cost of something is not just the monetary value. There's a whole bunch of other time costs involved when we purchase something. Ask the question, do I really need it? Do I really need it? What am I, ask the question, what am I being sold here? What is the message underneath the message? What's the propaganda, the marketing spin under what I'm buying? A couple of other things, helpful things. Don't impulse buy. Give things away. And don't go shopping to make yourself feel good about yourself. Give things away. I'm going to move this off stage. We're going to start clearing some things. What could you go through in your wardrobe right now? And I'm not going to be Mary Kondo. But there is something about simplicity. There we go. That we need to clear out, go through and say, what do I need to clear out? Material things. Actually, I'm going to get rid of this fridge too, PJ. Here we go. Fridges are important, by the way, but here, I think I've got it. What do we need to clear out? What can we give away? Digital devices. Here's some other questions about digital devices. Do I need all of those subscriptions? Come on, I reckon you can do an audit off the back of this. This is practical. You can walk away and go, I am going to do an audit. Do I really need those subscriptions? Do I really need to be spending money? Could I be using that money to bless somebody else? Does that subscription mean that I'm being distracted? I'm spending too much time? I've got to say, I got off Facebook two weeks ago. I am not missing it. Unbelievable. Not missing it one bit. I'd come home, I just found myself just scrolling through Facebook and stories. Now, listen, I'm not saying Facebook is of the devil. I might be. 
But here's the thing, is that I found myself comparing. I didn't, I didn't walk away from, a, from 15 minutes of just brain-numbing scrolling, feeling better about myself, feeling like I was filled up. I found myself comparing myself with others. What are the things in your life that you just need to clear out in your digital world? Am I spending too much time on screen? Digital devices. What about work? Am I, am, I, am I working too hard? What is the motivation? I'm going to move this over here, PJ. I'm just slowly going to move things off. Now, again, I'm not saying work's not important, but when we go and we do those extra hours, when we spend time doing extra hours to earn more money or whatever, ask again the question, what is this robbing me of? Is this pressure? Is this how, What is it saying about who I am? Am I getting my identity? Am I getting my life from my work or not? What is driving me? What are my motives? And what about life? You know, so often we just get, we get sold things through TV and through Netflix or whatever it is that say something about who life is and what life is. And do we just need to clear out our time? You know, so often I hear, and I don't mean to throw younger generations under the bus, but they say, I'm just so busy. Just, I'm so busy right now. I just, I feel so overwhelmed. Oh, really? Can I just look and see how much time you spent watching Netflix this week? And I say that to me as well. So often we just lose time. Come on, PJ, let's get rid of this TV. How can we simplify our life? There we go. let's get rid of the shopping as well while we're at it. What other things? Probably needed branded, you know, posh things rather than groceries. Oh, it feels so much nicer right here now. I'm ready to live in the way of Jesus. I've cleared the stage. Here's the thing. What are the ways in which you can practically, with a new vision, Clear out your life in order that you can live in the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm going to invite Hamish up. And here's what I'd love us to do in the last few moments. Is it hot in here? It's really hot. Can we get, can we get the air conditioning going? Is that possible? So I'm watching some of you melt. Some of you are okay. Let's put some of the air conditioning on. Here's what I'd love us to do is I just love us to pause for a moment. And as Hamish just sings a simple song over us, it's an old song. All to Jesus I surrender. All to thee I freely give. And as Hamish just sings over us, as we begin this series, I think our first step is to stop. And it's to surrender. It's to let go. Thanks, Reuben, for my sake, if nobody else's. It's just to sit and stop and to breathe the fresh air. And just as Hamish plays over us, here's what I'd love for you to do. Say, God, will you give me a new vision? of the things in my life right now where I'm living like a pagan 
It's a pretty, that's a pretty harsh question. God, where, how am I a pagan today? But it's true. Jesus says, don't live like the pagans who chase after all these things. What do you need to stop? What do you need to clear out? What do you need to let go of? In order that you can pick up some new things, new freedoms, new rhythms, new practices, new ways of life that will give you life and it will give you love. Come on, why don't, we just, why don't you just close our eyes? And sit in the still to stop and allow the Spirit of God to give you a new vision. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.